Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Duff Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 48. The first half of today's Duff finishes the conversation begun in the Mishnah on 46b regarding the responsibilities of husbands to wives. One of the responsibilities listed there includes the requirement to pay for burial. Habal chayav bikvuratah. The husband is obligated to bury his wife if she predeceases him. In the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda gave a minimal definition for a funeral. For a funeral, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, "Afilo anishi biYisrael lo yifchot mishnei halilim umkonenet." Rabbi Yehuda says, "Even the poorest person in Israel should not receive less than two flutes and one wailer." And this is related to the way funerals were done in the ancient world. Um, the flutes aren't there for musical accompaniment per se, certainly not joyous musical accompaniment, um, but uh, there was a desire to get the crowds to cry, um, to experience uh, sadness over the death of this person. And so flutes were used, um, and the Mekonenet, a, a female wailer, um, who, would, uh, who would raise, uh, raise people's emotions uh, to cry. So Rabbi Yehuda thinks that every woman should get this minimal standard, and that's what the Gemara is going to talk about. So we're going to pick up the discussion on 48a, about a quarter of the way down the page. So it starts with a piskah, quotation of the Mishnah that we just read, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Afilu Anisha B'Yisrael V'chulei, so even the poorest person in Israel, etc., gets this minimum funeral. Michlal de Tanakama Savar Hanilo. So michlalde means, can we infer, right? In other words, if you have a position in a Mishnah, let's say, um, michlalde is the Gemara saying, well, if there's a position stating this explicitly, then maybe there's a cholek, somebody who disagrees with that. Um, so do you, would you think that um, the sages, right, the Tanakama, the anonymous first opinion in the Mishnah that just said the husband is obligated to bury the wife, to pay for her burial, um, and said nothing about the minimum standards, does this imply that they don't think there are any minimum standards, that you should do whatever, right, whatever you can afford, maybe even whatever you want, um, even if it's less than that? So the Gemara actually sort of can't imagine why that should be the case. So it asks the question, Hechidame. Hechidame means, um, to what is it similar, right? Dame Dome. Right, so what is this, what is this case um, that we're discussing in the Mishnah? So if what we're talking about is the, the, um, the funeral customs are what are owed to this woman and her social status, um, then what would the reason that the Tanakama would deny them, right? In other words, if the woman comes from a class, let's say, where 
um, the expectation is that you would have 10 flute players, something like that, um, then why would the sages disagree and say the husband can do whatever he wants? Um, but let's flip it the other way. If it's not her normal way, right? Let's say she comes from a social class um, where even two flute players and one uh, and one wailing woman um, would not normally be what was done at her funeral. My time at the Rebbe Yehuda. Why would Rebbe Yehuda require that in any case? In other words, the point is if the if the if funeral arrangements are normally done based on social class. Why should anyone, Rabbi Yehuda or the sages, step in either to up them, to make them more elaborate than they would have been, or conversely, why would they allow the husband to downgrade them? So the Gemara has an explanation for this. It basically accepts its logic there, and then it has to explain the Mishnah. So it says, Lotzricha. No, in fact, the positions in the Mishnah are necessary. One, Kagon de Orche Dide, Vilav Orcha Dida. When they are his way, right, his custom, in other words, the husband, let's say, comes from a social class um, where, uh, where the funeral arrangements um, are, let's say, less, um, or but right, she's that that's not wouldn't be her custom, right? In other words, it would she would be owed a greater funeral, and this is where the machloket is. This is where the dispute is. Tanakama Savar, the first opinion that didn't have any standards, um, didn't specify any minimal standards, thinks the following: fantastic, a really fascinating conversation. Um, there's a principle in, in the Tanaitic period, and you can find it in the Tosefta, and, and it's clearly assumed, Ola imo ve'ena yoredet imo, that, the, that a woman who marries a man, and they come from different social classes, right, different sides of the track, if you will, um, tracks, I guess, <laughs> different sides of the train tracks, um, she goes up with him, but does not descend with him. Um, and basically what that means is that, let's say a poor man, for whatever reason, manages to convince a richer woman to marry him, um, she still ha- gets to maintain, and he's obligated to provide for her at the level um, that she is accustomed to. Um, or let's say during the marriage, um, they, the, somehow they lose, um, they lose their shirts or something. Um, to the best of his ability, the husband is the, still required to support his wife at her former living condition, um, her formal social stat, the living conditions of her former of her former social status. Whereas he goes sort of up and down based on uh, based on how much money he's bringing in. In other words, he is the one who has to sacrifice first. Um, and this rule seems to be there to protect the wife as much as possible from the vicissitudes that can be brought on by her husband's either irresponsibility or his bad luck. In any case, the sages claim that this requirement is limited to her lifetime. Hanemile mechaim, these words apply only when she is still alive. But after her death, then they no longer apply. Rabbi Huda says, no, even after her death. Um, and I think what's going on here is actually a machloket about what are funerals about. Um, the Gemara frames this debate as about whether funerals are primarily about honoring the person being buried as they were, right? In other words, she was a rich woman and she should get a rich woman's funeral. Um, and therefore, we should make sure that she gets buried um, with sort of the full honors. Um, and that is actually uh, that is actually what she is owed. Um, 
the alternative, though, is to see the funeral um, not as about the person themselves, but as about society as a whole marking the death. And if it's society as a whole marking the death, then the particulars of the person's social status maybe are less crucial. And you could even say that they're detrimental to the assertion of life, qua life, having had dignity. Right? In other words, if the person is poor um, or the person is rich, maybe they should get whatever sort of a standard funeral um, as opposed to if the as opposed to getting one that is based um, basically on on what their social standing was. So the Gemara actually concludes here, Amar of Chista, Amar of Ukva, Halachak Rabbi Yehuda. So actually Rabbi Yehuda's position wins at the end of the day. Rabbi Yehuda is the one who says that the that whatever this, the woman's social status was, whatever her, um, whatever she would normally be owed as, as funeral expenses, that's what the husband has to put out in order to bury her. In other words, funerals are really about the person who is being buried and what's dignified for them, um, as opposed to what the sages were saying, which was, no, Funerals are funerals. Funerals are about the dignity of the human being as a human being and not as the, necessarily as the person they were and the particulars of their social status in life. So the Gemara continues with another statement of Mar Ukba on a different but related topic. Ve'amar of Chista Amar Mar Ukba. Mi shenishtate beitin yoridin linchasav v'zanin umfarnesin etishto uvanav uvnotav v'devarecher. So Rav Chista says in the name of Mar Ukva that somebody who goes crazy, somebody who, who becomes mentally incapacitated, nishtate, um, the court descends into his resources, right? Basically, the court takes over for the husband who's no longer, um, who's no longer capable of doing so mental, for mental reasons. Um, the court descends into his stuff. They take his money and they support his wife and his children, sons and daughters, and devarecher, something else. So we're going to deal with the something else in a minute. Um, and Rashi here says, hold your horses. So we'll hold our horses. Um, and then we have a conversation about this. And they say, hold on a second. Amar le Ravina le Ravashi. Ravina says to Ravashi, Why should this case of Mar Ukvas be any different than the following Beraita? Right? So a woman whose husband went to abroad over the Mediterranean, right? He went on a European trip. And this was very common in the Talmudic period. It was very common in medieval Europe um, that men would disappear for months at a time um, in order to uh, in order to go make money abroad to, to engage in trade. Um, so what about a woman whose husband goes abroad? And then she says, um, I, need, I need more money, right? So whatever the husband left her, um, Whatever the lesser isn't sufficient for her needs, um, and she says, "I need more, right? Let me into his bank account, basically." Right, so the, there, the court descends into his resources and support. Indeed, gives the wife more money for food, right? Right, the the basic necessities of life. But they don't actually do it in order to support children, and that's weird. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, but they also don't do it for this devar acher. So the question is, why are the two cases different? Someone who becomes mentally incapacitated, right, and somebody who um, simply goes abroad. So the response is actually quite a logical response. Amar lei, right, so this is Rav Ashi replying to Ravina. Velo shani lach bein yotze ladat liyotze shaloladat. Don't you distinguish, right? Can't you think of a reason to distinguish? It's almost a biting response um, between somebody who goes intentionally, Yotse Ladat goes intentionally, and someone who goes 
Loladat, unintentionally, right? And maybe there's a play on words here of the nishtateh, the person who who is mentally incapacitated, and the loladat, right, which normally means unwillingly. But in any case, the point is, look, somebody who goes crazy, right, somebody who loses their mental capacity, presumably they didn't, they weren't able to plan for it. So if they're not able to plan for it, they weren't able to set their affairs in order, and so the court assumes maximal responsibility for all of the family members, where somebody who goes abroad presumably set all of his affairs in order before he left. Um, and there, okay, maybe he miscalculated, right? Maybe um, maybe the woman spent more, maybe prices more than she thought, than he thought, maybe prices went up, something happened, right? And so the court steps in to, to do the immediate support that's necessary, um, but doesn't go farther than that, doesn't really second guess the, the man's judgment. Then the Gemara asks about this Devar Acher. My Devar Acher, Rav Chista Amar Zetachshit, Rav Yosef Amar Tzedakah. So actually, this is also an interesting debate. Rav Chista says that the Devar Acher that the court does in the cases of um, the husband losing his mental uh, capacity, as opposed to, which it doesn't do when the husband simply goes abroad, um, one position, Rav Chista's, is jewelry, and Rav Yosef's position is Tzedakah. Right, so that's interesting, right? Jewelry is about the woman adorning herself, right? And do we think that if that's an important thing, um, to take money for out of the husband's resources when he's mentally incapacitated, um, right? That's Rav Chista's opinion. Rav Yosef says, no, 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 that's crazy, right? Staka is actually what's important, right? Staka, you want to take, um, you can take money for the woman to be able to perform the mitzvah of staka, um, which has all sorts of social benefits as well to her. So, <coughs> Manda Amar Tachshit, so Rav Chista, actually, they, the Gemara reframes this as not even a debate at all. Manda Amar Tachshit, kol shekein staka. Right, so Rav Chista, who said that Devar Acher means Tachshit, he would say, and of course staka. Right, if I'm going to allow the court to take money to give the woman extra jewelry, right, or makeup or cosmetics or whatever, right, then obviously if she's asking for money to give to staka, um, that is, that's clearly permissible. Manda Amar Tzedaka, right, the person who says staka. Right, but the person who says staka, um, right, actually would also give her tachshi, would also give her cosmetics. Why? Because we know that the husband would not want her to be um, to be minuvelet, right? That she shouldn't uh, she shouldn't be repulsive to people, right? So this is really about maintaining the wife's social standing, right? One position is primarily a social standing is based on appearance, and the other is that social standing is based on um, contributing to society, being sort of uh, supportive of people. And uh, and the Gemara uh, the Gemara says that in fact they they really agree that both are necessary. Um, so now I want to just do the end of this of this sugya um, because it actually has a fascinating ending that um, I think is quite relevant for us in our contemporary economic context. Amar of Chia Bar Avin, Amar of Huna, Misha Halachlin Dinatayam Umeita Ishto, Beitin Yordin Lin Chasav Kovrimo Talafik Vodo. So Rav Chia Bar Avin says in the name of Rav Huna that somebody who went abroad and in the interim his wife died, right? So now we don't have a way to instantaneously communicate with the husband, right? Letters take forever to go back and forth if we can even find the husband, right? That's number one. And number two is that, um, you know, the body needs to be buried quickly, right? This is pre-refrigeration. Um, so the baiting goes into the husband's bank accounts and they take money in order to bury his wife. And then it says, oddly, Lafik Vodo, according to his honor, right? And this directly contradicts what we saw above. And the Gemara says it explicitly, Lafik Vodo, Velo Lafik Vodo, why according to his honor, not according to her honor? So the answer actually takes into account what we said earlier about uh, that the woman doesn't go down in social status, right? And says, Ama, perhaps I should say the following, Af Lafik Vodo. 
right? Even according to his honor. What does that mean? Hakamash Melan, this teaches us, Ola imo ve'ena, you read it imo, va'afilu la'acharmita. Right, so actually this is a, ends up becoming a proof for, um, for, the, for Rabbi Yehuda's position earlier, which is to say that um, she can increase in social status with him. So the court actually says, well, she may have been poor in her origins, but now there's a lot of money in the bank account and the husband was, has, a higher, has a higher social standing. So we're going to bury her and take his money for the more expensive funeral. Right? She goes up with him and doesn't descend with him, and that applies even after death. And then that's, so that proves what we said earlier. And now there's one more, there's one more case to deal with. Amar of Matana. Haomer imeta lotik baruach min chasav inlo. So a man who says, if my wife dies, don't use my money to bury her, we listen to him. Now, the Mishnah requires husbands to pay for their wives' burial. So Rashi wants to read this not as about a case during his lifetime, where obviously that should be an ineffective thing to say, but actually a case after his lifetime. In other words, the point is that um, the husband is saying, after I die, right, maybe he's not his deathbed making this command, right, don't use my money to pay for her. Um, and so the Gemara is confused. Who cares right, that he said it? Right? Why should that affect our ruling? And then the Gemara says, no, because he actually wants to preserve that money that would be used for her burial for the Yatomim, for the orphans, meaning for his children, right? which may not necessarily be her children. So the Gemara then responds, hold on a second. Right? Even if he hadn't said it, then his then the money would go to the to the Yatomim. In other words, the the orphans would be responsible for burying her in any case. Um, so it's a ridiculous and ineffective and useless thing to say. Okay, fine. Right? In other words, he was trying to provide money for his kids, um, but in fact those kids will just be obligated to bury her um, from that money anyway. Okay, so now the Gemara gives a sort of total reread of the situation, um, which I think is actually quite fascinating for us. Ella, ha'omer imet hu lotik baruhu min chasav, ein shom inlo, lav kol heimenu shiyashiret benavi apilat malat sibor. So this is a great line. So what if the husband says? What if a man says? Isn't a husband relevant? What if the what if a man says, when I die, don't bury me from my own money. Right? In other words, he doesn't want his um, whatever he leaves behind monetarily to be used to bury him. Right? Rather, he wants it to go to his children. So what do we say in that case? We're not going to listen to him. Why? Because he doesn't have the power to enrich his children and basically dump himself, dump the responsibility for burying him on the community. What's going on here? Right? A rich person is basically saying, look, I want to keep the money in the family, and I'll let the community pay for my burial, right? I don't care if it's such a rich burial, right? I would rather that money go to my to my kids. And the sages say, no, rich people cannot foist themselves on the community like that. In other words, there's a social safety net. Everybody gets buried. If there's no family or you can't afford it, then the court steps in and uses the community's money to bury, right? But you can't do that a priori if you're rich, right? So this situation of rich people wanting to preserve their own resources and pass them on generationally, even in the face of community 
um, even in the face of, of the fact that that is going to cost the community, that was a reality in the past, and I think it's a reality today. And the Gemara is saying, absolutely not. Rich people cannot do that. Community money needs to be spent on people who really need it, um, and not to help rich people avoid um, the ordinary costs of life. I guess some things really never change. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.